All right, so we'll continue in our study in 1 John chapter 1, I mean chapter 3, but 1 John chapter 3, go ahead and turn your Bibles there to 1 John chapter 3. So we'll start at verses 11 through 18, I'll read them and then we'll, uh, we'll go into prayer. All right, John 3, verse 11 through 18. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the devil, I mean, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for that reason did he slay him, because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous? Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But this we know love, by this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and clothes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love the word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Wes, can you open us up in a word of prayer? Amen. Thank you, Wes. All right. So we are back in 1 John. We've been going a verse by verse teaching. And uh, I didn't realize it, but uh, I was talking to uh, Miss Sylvia, a visitor here today. But hey, uh, February uh, 14th is coming around the corner, right? In fact, it's this Tuesday, correct? So Valentine's Day, men. I'm giving you a few days extra time. You know, don't you can't say that uh, that morning... You know, you just remember the wife reminded you, right? Or that evening when you're getting home and she's waiting for something. But uh, typically the wife and I usually go a day or two after just because we let the rush kind of calm down. So we're old school that way. Especially when we lived in Houston, you couldn't go into these restaurants because they were just packed. So we always waited till that weekend and that's how we celebrated it. But anyways, speaking of that, today we're talking about love. So um, it just so happened that Valentine's Day is uh, in a couple of days. But last week we established that the children of God are characterized by righteousness and are free from sin because they are now born of God, okay? Their paternal father is now the Lord God. Now, they will be described as those who love one another for the very first time, as if they couldn't do it before, okay? That's kind of the, uh, the idea here. Um, so anyways... I browsed a little bit throughout the internet uh, over the weekend and to see if I could figure out um, what today's culture has to say about love, right? So I come across this article by a lady named Kendra Cherry. Uh, the article is called, What is Love? Okay. 
And she says, quote, love is a set of emotions and behaviors characterized by intimacy, passion, and commitment. It involves care, closeness, protectiveness, attraction, affection, and trust. Love can vary in, in intensity and can change over time. It is associated with a range of positive emotions, including happiness, excitement, life satisfaction, and, and euphoria. But it can also result in negative emotion, emotions, not emotions, emotions, <laughs> such as jealousy and stress. When it comes to love, some people would say it is one of the most important human emotions. Yet despite being one of the most studied behaviors, it is still the least understood. For example, researchers debate whether love is a biological or cultural phenomenon. Love is most likely influenced by both biology and culture. Although hormones and biology are important, the way we express and experience love is also influenced by our personal conceptions of love. End quote. And in her article, she goes on to talk about different types of love. Um, there's these little triangles where you can go figure out kind of what, what love you know, you're in right now at this moment. So she gives these shortcuts or you can go take these tests. Uh, how to practice love. Okay, the impact of love, both good and bad, which is also the pitfalls of love. Okay, so love can, can be good or bad, right, according to uh, this uh, young lady. She's a psychologist. Now, if we go, if we look back at the Greeks in Jesus' time, they too had multiple ways to express love, okay? Which is kind of what we still see today. We're still trying to figure it out, right? The Greeks actually had four common words they used. The first is iran, right? E-R-A-N. I'm kind of going to say these with my Spanish slant, so, which is probably closer to the Latin, right? But anyways, iran, E-R-A-N, right? It denotes passion and the kind of blind impulse produced by passion, this word is used three times in the New Testament, not necessarily an evil word, but used to describe the love of children for their mother, okay? So the love of children towards their mother, okay? The second word the Greeks use is sterchein, okay, or sturgeon, S-T-E-R-G-E-I-N. It refers to natural affection, the kind of love that has its roots and one's own nature, it's the kind of love God imparted to Adam and, and his creation and is the love that survived the fall. It is the kind of love that holds families together and gives us a love for our country. It is expressed in acts of generosity, kindness, and forgiveness. Okay? Then the third word is philane, okay, which we get the root word uh, or is, the, is where we get uh, the word phileo you've heard of before. Philane, P-H-I-L-E-I-N, which occur, occurs 45 times in the New Testament. This word has its negative qualities as well as its goods. Our Lord used it to describe the hypocrites in Matthew 6, 5. He says, And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. So they love to be praised by men. Okay? They're seeking out love from others by their actions, okay? But it also is used to describe Jesus' love for Lazarus. We see in John eleven three 3 and verse 36. And also we see it 
the Father, where he shows his love towards us. In John 16, verse 26 and 27, he says, On that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. So that is that Philean uh, love. Now the fourth one is agape love, which we get the word uh, agape, right? Okay, this word <clears throat> is the chief word of love in the New Testament. The word love here in 1 John 3.11 is this word here, this agape love, agape. Agape was not used by much Greek writers. So you can look back in, in extra biblical um, um, books or letters or, or just... Uh, any writings, right? The Greeks didn't use this word. In fact, they probably didn't know how to use it. Um, but it occurs about 320 times in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit, our subject at hand, favors it with new and higher standards. Okay, So the Holy Spirit takes this word that's hardly used and uses it and brings it to a whole new level. Um, this is the love we see in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, okay? Agape is never used of man's love for God, but it is used for God's love to us or for us. A gentleman by the name of Kenneth uh, Wace says, it's very interesting, he says, An unsaved husband can love his wife in three ways. He can, he can have an Iran love, which is the first one we talked about a passionate sexual love for her. He can have a philean love, a fond affection for her. He can have a sturgeon type of love, which is a natural love for her, but he cannot have an agape in love without Christ. Okay? These categories of love can be controlled by the unregenerate nature. Now, the saved husband, who now has a new divine nature, when fully yielded to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, can love his wife with an agape type of love, a love that can purify, it can sanctify and elevate the lesser forms of love, right? Brings them up or gives them a whole new perspective, a whole new meaning. So you set, in this type of love, you set your own priorities aside for the other. Man, think about that. You set your priorities aside for the other. I'm preaching to myself, so... I'm not throwing rocks or throwing one in the air and it just hit me in the head. But again, we set our own priorities aside for the other. In today's time, we hear people speak of God's love. And that's all we need. Uh, but they truly don't understand this. You hear these people, oh, you know, we just got to love, man, right? And, um, but honestly, when they think of love, they think of it, I believe, from an unregenerate human perspective. They look at it from the Iran, the Philean, the Sturgeon love, but they are not looking at it from an agape love, okay, which is what God, which is that, that God, uh, let me back up, which is that God has compassion for us, that he, uh, okay, so God does have compassion for us. Yes, he is fond of us, and he does have a mother-father kind of parental love for us but now these things may be true but first we have to receive the agape love which can only be applied by god and to whom he pleases okay you only get this agape love when you are when you become a believer or you can only express this love when you are a believer filled with the holy spirit okay you cannot understand true love unless the uh the love you have has been regenerated 
by the cross, okay? I remember many years ago as a young Christian, probably back around 20, 2003, 2004, we're going to this small church home in Hobbs, and I got to teach. And I remember as I was teaching there, I, might, I may have been talking about love, I don't remember what it was, but we were sitting there, and all of a sudden it just came over me, like, like the, the scales were knocked off my eyes. And I looked at my wife, and I said, wow, I love my wife. I didn't know that I loved her. Well, I thought that I loved her. I had all these human, unregenerate perspectives of my wife, but I did not know what love was until we studied this. And I looked up at her and said, wow. I said, just the love for my wife was, had a new meaning to it, and it was because I could look at her through what Christ did on the cross for me. And nobody can experience that or understand even how to apply that unless you are a Christian, Okay. So, all right, well, that's my introduction, right? So let's get into the text. Um, if we need marriage counseling after, we can talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I may need it. No, I'm just kidding. All right, but anyways, love, right, is the topic at hand. And how ironic as well, I'm, I'm really, I, uh, I don't cringe, but I struggle when I have conversations with people about love. And here's why. Um, most people come to the cross with love first, okay? And you're like, well, that sounds about right. No, 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 you can't do that. To me, that's a false gospel. You have to walk through God's holiness and understand why you need this love before you can really truly understand and have this love. You have to understand that you have to be repentant, right? You have to understand that God is holy and you are not, okay? And then when you understand that love, then you understand what true agape love is. And then you can know how as a husband and a wife you can sacrifice for each other and your families, okay? So again, you walk through God's holiness and then to the cross and you can experience true love. It's not, I want to be lovey-dovey, live the way I want to live, and later on when I'm ready, I will um, accept the sanctification part. It's all of it or none of it. Christ is Lord at whether you like it or not, and we have to take him as he is, like the way he takes us as we are. All right. Sorry about that. That was a side note. <clears throat> okay. Verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. All right. So the message John is talking about here is a message that we receive at salvation. Okay. From the beginning, kind of typically takes my mind to Genesis 1-1, but that's not what he's talking about here, okay? We see this example, in fact, in 1 John 1-1, okay? The beginning, if you look at that, if you look at John 1-1, 1 John 1-1, just flip a couple pages, you'll see the beginning there as well, but it's, but it's not talking about the beginning of time like in Genesis, but a point of time, and this point of time is salvation, which it is referring to, and this point is referring to salvation as well, that point of change of life, okay? Paul in Galatians tells us that we believed, and at that moment we received the Holy Spirit at the hearing and accepting of the gospel. We look at Galatians chapter uh, 3. Let's turn your Bibles there. It's a very, very important passage. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Um, in fact, this whole chapter is just amazing. 
Um, but we're just going to go over the verse, first two verses quickly. But here the Apostle Paul is kind of chewing out uh, Peter. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. He's not like just, oh, hey, foolish, oh, foolish Galatians. He's actually upset. He's infuriated. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? Who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus was Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay? Uh, they were getting back involved into the law instead of grace. Okay? This is the only thing I want to learn from you, he says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing of faith. Okay? So it's a rhetorical question. It's an answer. It's a question that already has an answer to it. And the answer is, you received it by the hearing of faith. Okay? It's not by the works that you've done. So at that moment of hearing of faith, you are saved. You are a new believer if, if, it's, uh, if you're genuine, right? So at that point is that beginning that he's talking about here. That point of salvation is what he's talking about. You have heard this from the beginning, the beginning of your salvation, okay? So, now the reminder is that we are to love one another, okay? If you look at the verse, that we should love one another. That's what he's reminding us, okay? Remember, these are Christians who he's talking to. This kind of love can only be done, as we've mentioned already, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. John is reminding us that we should love one another. Now, Sometimes, even in the church, hard feelings can be had, right? You know, at home, outside of the church, you ever hurt each other's feelings? Siblings, husband, wife, parents with their children, right? We get our feelings hurt, and sometimes that happens in the church, okay? The church is not immune to these as well. So again, Paul, I mean, John here is reminding the church. He's talking to believers here. Not reminding the church, but he's talking to believers, we see these examples, okay? The Corinthians, there's two books written to the Corinthians, and each chapter in both books is correcting them about something, okay? Very interesting. So if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, these believers are suing each other in the church. Does any one of you, when he has a case against another, dare to be tried before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Like, why can't you work this matter in between you, right? Why are you going to the unrighteous to make these judgments? You know, work it out together. Okay, he's chewing them out. You're Christians, you're believers. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, he says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you. Again, this is 12 chapters into 2 Corinthians. So he's, he's still chewing them out. But he says, I, I pray I mean, for I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. It says that perhaps there will be a strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, slanderers, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. This is the church that he's talking to. He wrote this to the Corinthian church. Verse 21, he says, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. In 1 Corinthians, there was a son who took his father's wife away. Okay? The stepmom. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, yes. So, again, we see that there is strife in the church. 
But that is not what we are called to be. That is not agape love. They, Paul has also pushed the Corinthians to grow, to go from milk to meat. Okay? And they obviously have stayed on milk. Okay? There's no growth in their life. So they're only eating the things that a mother would feed her kid is milk. Okay? No meat. So the world is supposed to see that we are different by the way we love one another. If we're biting each other's backs like the Corinthians were, we would definitely disgrace our Lord. Okay? So think about that. Very interesting. Now let's look at verse 12. Okay? Or verse 11. Let me just reread that. So for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. So the beginning of salvation. That we should love one another. Okay? You can't teach that message to an unsaved person. They don't understand it. Right? This is the agape love. So that we should love one another. And then verse 12 says, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. So we have the example here. Okay. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain hated his brother. His actions revealed that he was of the evil one. Okay. He was not, he did not have this agape love. Okay. If we look at Genesis 4, 5, we'll see this is the... Uh, the uh, Yahweh speaking here says, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Okay, so Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. He was angry. Okay. Here's something interesting. Well, after this point, this reveals, this also reveals that those who do not do what is right hate those who do. Okay, let me say that again. This reveals that those who do not do what is right hate those who do, right? Oftentimes you may be called a tattletale, a snitch, or, you know, snitches get stitches, whatever that is, right? I tell that to my kids all the time. They tell on me. They kind of laugh, but uh, <laughs> dad did this. But anyways, but that is true. I'll get with you in a minute, okay? All right. Hold that question. All right, so the next thing here is that this is what's very interesting for us parents. So not only uh, not only that, but these two were what? Cain and Abel were what? They're brothers. That's right. It shows you that you can have the same theological upbringing, but every child has their own character and will go their own way. Doesn't matter, right? They're that close to God. They're that close to uh, creation, even after the fall. They got to see creation at its peak point after it was stained with sin, okay? And they got to walk, uh, not walk, but present an offering to God, right? They still had this interaction with God from an offering perspective. But still, Cain chose to go the other way, okay? And then you can also, from the other side of that, be the worst parents out there ever, and God can still pull the children to the truth, okay? So... Anyway, that's some comfort for us parents there. But in all reality, if you can't love one another, you can't love God. There's no way you can do that. So church, we have two choices. So we love or we hate. Whatever we choose will reveal who our true father is. Okay, Which Owen talked about in verse 10 last week. Verse 10 says, By this the children of God... And the children of the devil, see, you have two paternal uh, fathers here. Which one are you from? 
are manifested. Everyone who does not do righteousness is not of God, as well as the one who does does not love his brother. Who does not love uh, love his brother? Okay. So, anyways, which one are you? Right? Are you a hater or are you a lover? Are you you can't love you'll, if you're not saved. You'll get burnt out. Okay, that's a religious type of love. Agape love is a natural response to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right. So now we see from verses 13 through 18, we see kind of two paths here. We see a comparison between life and death. And we'll see that kind of throughout the next sections of of text here. All right. Verse 13 says, Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. Okay? So John now addresses believers. Okay, he says, do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. Do not be surprised that your righteousness will be hated like Cain hated his brothers. Okay, so don't be surprised that your righteousness will be hated like Cain hated his brothers. Cain represents the evil one, which acts on envy and anger against believers. Okay, those who are not righteous but have evil in their heart can be found both in the world and in the church. We see Judas, okay? Yeah, it's possible that one of us in here can be unsaved and that we're unrighteous, okay? It's a possibility. Just because you show up in the church doesn't mean you're automatically saved or that you're a Christian. So the wickedness of the unbeliever is revealed next to the righteous life of a believer, okay? So instead of changing their evil behavior, they would rather destroy them, okay? And this reveals their heart, okay? Rather than being convicted, they'd rather destroy them with hate in their heart. I hate that person. I don't know why, but it's because you are a follower of Christ, because you are different, okay? So people will just naturally hate you or naturally separate themselves. Some people understand where you're at. Some people just choose not to do it. It says, I know what God has done. I know about the gospel, but I choose not to go that way. That's for you, not for me. But they choose to separate themselves or they choose to hate you. Okay? This is, that is the hardness of the heart. It would be just, it would be just as unreasonable for a person to destroy a ruler. Okay? For showing how crooked a line is we have drawn. That sounds silly, right? You draw a line, you put the ruler on it, it's crooked, so I'm going to break the ruler because it's showing that I have a, a crooked line, right? So, anything I build is kind of off anyway, so everything I build would be destroyed. (laughs) But again, that's how silly it sounds, but that's the reality of it, okay? If we look at John 3.19, John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. Okay? Cain represents the world's attitude towards the light and toward all who intend to live their lives in the light. When we live out a Christ-like life, the world will hate you because we reveal Christ. Okay? In John 7, 7, Christ says, But it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Church, you were a light hater before you were saved. You did not like the light. 
You hated the light. I hated the light. We were all born on that side of the fence. Okay? Now, <clears throat> in verse 14, we see these, again, we talked about that dualism, life and death, and you'll see a lot more aggressively here, a lot more common, not aggressively, a lot more common. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. So those who have life are those who are true believers, okay? Life, have true believers, I mean, are true believers, and they have crossed over to life when they come to faith in Christ. The only way you can have true life is having faith in Christ. Living your life today outside of Christ, you know, they say we only live once. That's not true life. It's a trap. You're being tricked. It's a lie. Okay? If you, if you do not demonstrate love, you have not crossed over and remain in death. Okay? It's like I said, we all started off on the side of death. In fact, let me prove it to you. This is another important passage. Just turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Very important. It should be highlighted in your Bible. If they're not, go ahead and get her done. In fact, this whole chapter... Bless you. Verse 1 says, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's talking about Christians here. He's telling them, hey, you were dead. Past tense, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The moment you were conceived, you are, you are, your nature is sinful. Adam is your representative. Verse 2, in which you formerly walked. Okay, this is who you were. You were a zombie. You were dead and you walked. Okay, isn't that what zombies do? According to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, okay, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, what does it say? Children of wrath. This was your nature. You were a child of God. I mean, a child of Satan. Even as the rest, every person before you are saved are a child of Satan. Okay, there's no in the middle. You can't have one foot in, one foot out. Okay? That's mind-blowing. That's where we all begin. Okay? That's where we all start. That's why it's important to understand the holiness of God and the position that you're in. And that's why repentance is needed, to turn away from your sin and turn away from that lifestyle and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you can move forward in this new life, okay? This new life is eternal life. The word know, and this verse, go back now to, to 3.14 in 1 John. So it says, we know that we have passed out of life into death. This word know here, it gives a certainty, okay? And you'll see this in chapter 5 as well, this word certainty. It's like a, a guaranteed it's uh, you could take it to the bank and cash it in. Okay, that's the idea here. The idea here. So the word knows gives a certainty. We know for sure you can count on it that we have passed from death unto life. So we can know if we are saved. Some people aren't sure, but we can know if we're saved. We know for sure, for certainty. Okay, and when we get to chapter five, we'll talk about that some more. <clears throat> okay. 
So the word, the word life is not, um, okay. Yeah, so the word <clears throat> no gives a certainty. We know for sure that we're a pastor from death unto life. The word life is not talking about quality of life like I mentioned earlier, but it is eternal life, okay, which is given only through Christ. This is proven <clears throat> by how we treat our brothers. If you want to show people this change, how do you show them? By how we treat our brothers, okay? <clears throat> you do not get eternal life by loving, okay? That's what this false perspective is about love. If I just love, then I'm showing God's love, right? We do not get eternal life by loving. We love because we have eternal life. You see the difference? You love because Christ saved you, and you have no choice but to respond in a loving, agape way. In fact, we see that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Read verse 10. You have these natural works, and that's what this is. That's what he's talking about here. You respond to salvation, okay? So this is proven by how we treat our brothers. You do not get eternal life by loving. We love because we have eternal life. This is the evidence, not the basis for eternal life. This proves that you are saved by how you love one another. Look at John 5.24. I'll read it to you. Write it down. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears, this is Christ speaking, Here, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Okay? God has raised him from the dead and given him Eternal life. Eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. It doesn't, it doesn't start when you die. For us believers, it begins the moment the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us and we are saved. Eternal life begins at that point. The beginning. The beginning of salvation. The only difference is our body. Okay? <clears throat> our body is still stained by sin, but the Spirit lives within us. Alright, let's move on to verse 15 now. So, we see that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here in verse 15, John apparently wishes to show us the depth of evil and its hate and that it, and it amounts to murder, okay? It ends up as murder. If you ever study the Gospel of John, okay, and I use this example all the time, there's three progressions, and you'll see it, okay? You see the Sadducees and Pharisees, they're reasoning with Christ at the beginning. They're having a conversation, okay? Well, eventually, they don't like it because Jesus seems to be winning every time, right? These debates. Then eventually, they start to threaten him. You see the progression. They tell him that the things that he's doing are from the devil, from Beelzebub, okay? Then eventually, what do they do? They pick up rocks and try to stone him. They get physical, okay? You'll see that. And eventually, they put him on the cross, at the perfect timing of Christ, okay? But you see that progression, okay? You'll see that progression. <clears throat> so, in the eyes of the world, hatred is not a very wicked thing, okay? Some even boast in it, okay? I see this all the time. I see people who don't want to forgive, and they enjoy hating, right? Everybody's out to get them. They hate everybody because they hate them first, and all that, but God calls this murder. This is murder. Murder in the heart. <clears throat> in this context, everyone who hates his brother is like Cain, who hated his brother for living rightly before God. To teach someone to live like the world 
is a wish for their spiritual death. Think about that, especially as a Christian. You're staying at milk. You don't want to grow. So you kind of have one foot in, one foot out. You're just kind of satisfied where you're at. But to teach someone to live like the world is a wish for their spiritual death, which in effect is spiritual murder. Before I was a believer, like I mentioned earlier, I was a misguiding friend. I was a misguiding husband, a father, and so on. That was me. I was misguiding. I was spiritually murdering my family because I was teaching them to go the wrong direction. The word murderer or killer comes from the two Greek words. The first one is person, and the next one is kill, which literally translates translates as person killer, okay? So Jesus used this word to refer to the devil and his words. Those who teach heresy by example or words can be described as a person killer, as a killer. And we see this in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father? <clears throat> he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. You see how he compares murder with truth? Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. If you're teaching somebody to go down the wrong path, you are a spiritual murderer. That was very sobering to me. <clears throat> Never seen it that way. The devil brought death to all of us by deceiving Adam and Eve. They believed the lie and brought death into the world. So heresy is by nature a lie that pulls a person away from God and has the same kind of death-inducing power. But this curse can only be undone by the gospel. Praise God, right? That's why he sent Christ. It can be undone by the gospel, which moves us into our next text. If we look at verse 16, it says, By this we have known love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay? Christ taught that self-sacrifice was the ultimate expression of love. Men, do we love our wives this way? Do we love us the way Christ loved the church? If you're dating, are you learning to love your partner in this way? Young men, women, are you learning this? Are you understanding this? Because this will be important to you in your future life. In fact, it should be important now, but more when you are married and you become one with someone else, then you have to live it out every day. Right, Phil? <laughs> so John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. We see in Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Did you hear that? Christ died for the ungodly, those who were dead in sin, those who were practicing the ways of Cain, which was us. For one will <clears throat> hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps maybe for a good man someone would die, dare even to die. Then verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, not only did he die for us, but while we were sinners, okay? While we were his enemies, he died for us. Christ is here compared to Cain. 
Christ gives us love in the highest expression, we can see this invisible love. This agape love is invisible, okay? But we can see it by our Lord's actions that he took on the cross of Calvary. Because of this act, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, okay? This means that our lives should be a continual given out to other believers, and we should be ready to die for them at a moment's call, okay? What Christ did for us should be a template of God's people to other believers. Love means saying no to your life so that others may live. So I, you know, I promise, we talked about these lovey-dovey people earlier, but I promise you don't see those people who profess this love-living life. They won't express it in this way. They aren't sacrificing for nobody but themselves. Okay, It's all about them and what they can get out of God. What can God do for me? That's a false love. I am the slave and he is the master. What can I do to please my master? That's it. That's the relationship. A slave has no rights. Only the master has them. And he tells us what to do. And we serve him lovingly and obediently. So verse 17 But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So again, so while we are on the stand, also let me back up. While we are on standby for the Lord to return, we may possibly be called to give the ultimate sacrifice for our life while waiting here on earth, right? I've heard stories where somebody dies for the other. You see this uh, type of uh, um, love, you know, typically, you know, in a, in a high situation where somebody will die for those who are captive or maybe in a situation where there's war and you're combating with each other and there may be a situation where somebody gives their life for you. Same idea here. Okay, so as believers, okay, we give the ultimate sacrifice of our life, okay, and always, we're always on standby. You never know if the Lord calls us to this highest point. Most of the times, or mostly we don't, especially living in America, not today anyways, but maybe in the future. But while we live as believers on this earth, we need to be helping other believers in need. Okay? We're not talking about the unsaved here. If you notice, he's talking about the believers. You express God's love not to the unsaved, but you express it within the body of Christ expressed more in the body of Christ. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about in the church. Okay? Not that we don't go do those things, but specifically agape. Remember, Christ indwells in us. We are Christ, uh, I mean, we're image bearers, and we are the temple. Christ lives in us as believers. If I want to serve Christ, then I serve, we serve each other. Okay? Christ lives in us. So again, we are not talking about the unsaved, but the saved in this context of other believers. If God has blessed us with the world's goods, the way we choose to use them will demonstrate our love of God. Okay? That's a pretty interesting thought. When I got to this passage, I was like, man, how am I going to talk about that? But it's real simple. The way we choose to use them will demonstrate our love of God. Are we genuine? Are we stingy? Are we... um, uh, not willing to share with the other brothers, right? No, 
I've, I've been in situations where people take advantage of you, okay? They say, what belongs to you is God's, and because we're all part of the body of Christ, and it all belongs to all of us. I'm like, no, unless you want to partake in my monthly truck bill and my insurance, then we'll talk about that, right? But that was uh, my old uh, Pentecostal days in the back uh, about 20 years ago, so I still have scars from that. So I'm very cautious on those things. But anyways, are we genuine, okay? Are we uh, genuine? Are we... um, um, willing to share the things that the Lord has given us, right? And there's also a warning to that. We see 1 John 2.15. You know, just turn a page over. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And I was always taught that if somebody let me borrow something, especially a truck or something, you know, take it back full, take it back washed, right? If somebody uh, lets you borrow a tool, clean it, take it back, oil it up, return it in a better condition than it was given to you, right? Return that favor back. Verse 18, our last verse here. Then he says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Okay? So this should not be a matter of kind words or affection, but should be manifested in actual deeds of kindness and should be genuine instead of false. And the only way they can be genuine is if you have this agape love that is indwelt in you and it's going to naturally flow out of you, okay? Our love should be demonstrated in truth as well. If we look at James one twenty two, it says, but become doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Then our last verse is Mark 12.30. And you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You cannot do these two commands without agape love. There is no way. Outside of that, you're living a religious life. So church, we have two choices, to love or to hate. If you hate, you find yourself away from the grace of God. You're still in that Ephesians passage where you're dead. You're in a position that leads to destruction and eternity. If you love, then this reveals your position in Christ, and the rest of it should come natural. Okay? So do your works prove who you are? That's the question for us today. Do our works prove who we are? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today humbled by this message, Lord. I am, Lord, convicted on how to love my brothers the way you loved us, Lord. With this agape love, help me, Lord, to show the world around me and us 
that we love you by how we treat each other, Lord, how we love each other, how we sacrifice things for each other, Lord. Sometimes the world does it better than we do, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that you forgive us for that and that we continue to grow and mature. We see the Apostle Paul, Lord, every time he writes a letter in the epistles, somebody is with him. They're nurturing him. They're talking to him. They're comforting him. We just see this throughout the scripture, Lord. Help us to be more like that. Help us to reveal who you are through the way we live and how we treat each other through the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for eternal life, Lord. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that um, you know we've recognized that we are sinful, that you are holy. And Lord, there may be somebody here today who doesn't know this truth and has just heard it for the first time. I pray that you work in their hearts, Lord, and evaluate them, I mean, have them evaluate themselves and that you leave them, you know, not comfortable in their sin. And those who know, Lord, I pray that you begin to prick their hearts. Time is running out. I pray that you draw them towards you and that you push them, Lord, um, to seek after you. God, we just thank you for your love, what you did on the cross, and because of that, we can speak about agape love today, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen.